0: Good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you on this beautiful Lord's Day. Let's have our Bibles open to 2 Timothy chapter 2. We'll be there in just a little bit. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Just want to say how grateful I am uh, that I've been invited over here. You have so many talented people to teach and preach. I know you don't need me, um, but the fact that you ask warms my heart. It's such a passion of mine to talk about the Word of God. So I just can't uh, thank you enough for giving me the opportunity to come over here and see you guys again. Jason said that we will always be a part of your family and whenever we see you guys, we truly feel like that. Um, I was asking my girls last night, my girls, my boys, they, they like to ask me Saturday night, You know, Daddy, are you preaching tomorrow? And I said, yeah, we're going over to Monte Vista and preaching. And I, was, I, I asked my girls specifically you know, what do you like best about Monte Vista? And Lydia says, Ashlyn and Grace are there. <laughs> Miriam, she's our most serious one. She says, I like the Bible class teachers over there. So thank you so much for helping us and, and just making us feel welcome and giving my children uh, some good examples to follow. And that reminds me of the lesson that Brian just preached about being imitators of Christ. In all seriousness, beloved, I, I don't know if there could be a more profound topic than imitating Jesus. It is, without exaggeration, it is the very purpose of our lives. In Romans chapter 8, you know, Paul talked about us being predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. It is why I am alive. I am alive to be like Jesus and so are you. But in doing that, we're also giving examples for each other and giving people things to imitate amongst each other. So Ashlyn, Grace, don't want to put too much pressure on you, but Lydia's depending on you. Um, So thank you, Brian, for your lesson and Mitch, your class, and Zach, wow, dude, I don't think I've ever seen you lead songs, but you're a really good song leader, man. Keep, Keep it up. So you know me and most of you, 90% of you, I'm sure, know me and and that I have a secular job and that I like to stay busy preaching and teaching. And so because I can't spend as much time in the Word as a a full-time preacher, I live sermon to sermon and, and finding sermon topics to sermon topics. I live my life to find sermon topics because I don't have a lot of time Uh, as much to spend in God's word. So as I watch sports or as I have life experiences, as I have work experiences, I'm always thinking about the next thing that I wanna preach about. And one of the ways that I find sermon topics are questions that are asked of me and sometimes when those questions are repeated, I know that it's gotta be on a, a lot of people's minds. And recently, I've probably received maybe three, four of this question in, in just the last 60 days or so, and completely unrelated to each other. They don't know that they're asking me these things, and I'm sure they're asking other people the same question. But the question is this, how do we interpret the New Testament? How are we supposed to read the new testament are we supposed to read the new testament the same way that we read the old testament and it's such a profound question because the bible doesn't come right out and say all right here's how you interpret me here's how you interpret scripture now you can read books about how to interpret, you can listen to sermons about how to interpret, and I'm sure there, there's a lot of good principles in them, but Scripture never comes out blatantly and says, alright, step one, step two, step three. You have to take each book and each context in and of itself, but it, it started me getting to thinking about, about this topic. And I'm not going to give you steps about how to interpret the Bible, but I am going to give you some very broad principles of where to start. That when you tackle the Word of God, here's what you need to have in mind. I'm going to try to combine a couple of sermons that I preached recently, and the first of which is about, as we look at the Word of God, we need to understand just how inspired it really is. So, as we think about inspiration, there's a lot of people in the religious world that view inspiration like that God gave, God gave the gist of things to Paul. God gave some good ideas to Peter. God may have given some good ideas to John, and, and they're just kind of doing the best they can as they put it on paper. And is that what the Bible means when it says that it's the Word of God? So you don't have to turn to these passages. We're just going to think about them and, and you can jot them down and read them on your own time. But in 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter talks about how no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Listen to that again. No prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. In other words, when God gave his word to a person, and that person wrote it down. There is no man filter in between. So God's not giving an idea or the gist to Paul, and Paul's like, I I think this is what God means. I think this is what he means when he said this. There is not a man filter. All the biblical writers had to do was to give the people what God wanted to give the people. No man filter. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 3, the scripture reading this morning, talks about how all scripture is breathed out by God. Now, some translations say inspired, and that's not a bad translation, but it's more literal to say that all scripture is breathed out by God. Now, this practice is not original with me, but I want you to, everybody take your right hand. We're going to put it up to our mouth about two inches away, okay. and I'm telling you to take your right hand because being left-handed, that just ain't right. (laughs) I'm just kidding, okay. You can can use your left hand. I've got two left-hander children, all right? So put it up to your mouth about two inches away. We're all going to say the same word at the same time. We're going to say the word power on the count of three. One, two, three. Power. Power. Feel that? Feel that on your hand? Let's do it one more time because I see some of you not participating. Okay, We're going to say the word scripture on the, on the count of three. Hold it up close enough that you can feel the, feel the breath on your hand. One, two, three. Scripture. Feel that? Every single syllable, there is breath. You cannot say a syllable without breath coming out of your mouth. So when the Bible says that in 2 Timothy 3:16 that all scripture is breathed out by God, that is the level of inspiration the Bible is claiming of itself. So when you tackle how to interpret the Bible, the first step is we need we need to realize just how inspired it is, just how inspired it claims to be. Now, some of the arguments against that idea that that it's that inspired that level of inspiration if you are a greek student you know or you may have heard greek scholars talk about how some of the vocabulary and education level and writing styles show through the text so if you like to study greek and things of that nature you know that john wrote his greek at like a third grade level no offense to john and that's why first-year Greek students oftentimes will study 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and, and whatnot. And if you read Mark, you know that his grammar isn't very good. But if you read somebody like Luke, who's a doctor, his vocabulary is really good. His grammar is really good. And that kind of stuff comes through the text. The poetry of Isaiah is, is, is better and a little more refined than the poetry in other parts of the Old Testament. So they ask this, if inspiration is, is that level, that it's breathed out by God, why does some of these things come through the text? And my, my answer to that is this, that just shows just how powerful God is in inspiration. That when God uses Mark, yeah, it's the word of God, but it still sounds like Mark. And when God uses Paul, yeah, it's the word of God, but it still sounds like Paul. And when God uses John, may not have a a very high education. Yeah, it's the word of God, but it still sounds like John. So don't let that stuff bother you too much. I think it shows the power of God even more so in inspiring these people and letting their true self come through the, the text as well. I think this is an honest question to ask, though, because in 2 Peter chapter 1, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, in 2 Timothy 3, all Scripture is breathed out by God, those passages, if you dig into the context, they are talking about the Old Testament Scriptures. So I think it's an honest question to ask that did inspiration work the same way with the apostles? as it did in the Old Testament. Does that make sense? Did inspiration work in the New Testament the same way as it did in the Old? My answer is Peter and Jesus sure thought it was gonna work the same way. Because In the second Peter chapter three, Paul refer, or excuse me, Peter refers to Paul's writings as scripture. Talks about how people are distorting and turning and, and misusing Paul's writings as they do the other scriptures. So Peter looped Paul's writings into what he considered scripture from the Old Testament, and Jesus sure thought the same thing. In John chapter 13, and this is just one instance, but he said this multiple times. In John 13, he said, when people receive you, apostles, they're going to receive me. When they reject you, apostles, they're going to reject me. Now, how could Jesus say that unless Jesus knew exactly what those men were going to say? And how did Jesus know that the apostles were going to say the exact same thing that Jesus wanted them to say? Well, in John 14 and in other passages, Jesus said, when I leave, the Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to lead you guys into all truth. And not only that, but he's gonna to bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. A, a miraculous remembrance of what Jesus said. I don't know about you, but my memory doesn't last very long, okay? I preached these sermons a couple months ago and I had to go over these things like 10 times. So to have a miraculous remembrance, that was gonna be helped by the Holy Spirit. So much so that when Jesus said to the apostles that they were gonna be arrested and appear before kings and governors and things of that nature, He said to this to his apostles, you don't need to worry about what you need to say. In that hour, he said, it will be given to you. So did inspiration work the same way in the new as it did the old? Peter and Jesus sure thought so. So here's the conclusion. Inspiration means different things to different people. And I mean religious people. But we must let Scripture define inspiration. And when we do, we will be much more cautious not to toss out certain passages. We are reading the thoughts and the words of God. And if it was a thought of God's, we must consider its place and its purpose in our lives. So step one in my mind, as you're tackling the New Testament, or or any part of Scripture that is, is to understand just how inspired inspired really is that these are thoughts and words of God almighty but none of that means anything if you don't use it correctly the importance of using scripture correctly and the work that God wants us to put into it. That's what I wanna focus most of our time on this morning. The importance of using it correctly. Just recently at work, let me tell you a story between Jason and I. Jason and I worked together, as most of you know, and in, in our lobby, I walked across the coffee table next to the couch in the waiting room, and there was something on the coffee table, a religious pamphlet. And I picked it up and I walked into Jason's office because Jason has put out pamphlets for your gospel meetings and things of that nature, which I'm super glad to support. I walked into his office and I said, did you, did you put this on the, uh, on the coffee table? He said, no, that wasn't me, what does it say? And I started flipping through and I said, man, you, you definitely didn't put this here. <laughs> it was a uh, pre-millennial start, you know, jargon and, and whatnot. But one of the things that the pamphlet emphasized was this using scripture handling scripture correctly and yet it's not using scripture correctly the other thing that the pamphlet clearly emphasized was that the bible was the word of god and yet it's misusing it so let's turn to this passage i know you're probably there already second timothy chapter 2 read with me verses 14 and 15 Let's talk about the importance. You could have the correct view of inspiration, but you could be misusing it or misinterpreting things. Here we go, verse 14. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker. And I want you to underline that in your mind or with a pen or a pencil or whatever. A worker it takes work who does not need to be ashamed rightly handling the word of truth so he says number one that it's work and what is the work of Bible study rightly handling the truth now it's the next chapter it's literally the next chapter where Paul will say all Scripture is breathed out by God so Paul and Timothy clearly have a high view of scripture, have the correct view of inspiration. And yet, in the chapter previous, Paul is telling Timothy, but you gotta be careful with it. And wouldn't Paul know? You know, when he was Saul of Tarsus and helping killing Christians and persecuting Christians, don't you think he had a high view of scripture, the correct view of inspiration at that time too? so it has to be handled correctly but it also takes a lot of work i don't think it's a coincidence and paul paul's not talking about timothy's preaching here necessarily he's talking about how you handle it and he uses the term work here you don't have to raise your hand because i know anybody has ever studied the bible long enough we all get to a point where we ask this question why didn't god make it a little easier why didn't God make it a little clearer? Why didn't God take out some ambiguity? Or how about this? Why didn't God just give us a creed? I mean, he could have just given us the whole word of God, but then give us you know, the really important stuff like list 1 through 20. And say, Alan, uh, yeah, there's a lot of history here and there's a lot of narratives and there's a lot of types and antitypes and good figures and a lot, of, a lot of good stuff here. And go ahead and read it. But what you need to know is these one through 20. And if you get the 20, you're good. But go ahead and, and study the rest of it too. Why didn't God do that? Unless God wants it to be work. He wants us to work through our faith through the scriptures. And these two points on the screen, that it must be used correctly and that it does take work, I think are found in one narrative that I want to share with you for the rest of our time together. And that's Luke 24. Luke chapter 24, seven miles there and back again. This is the road to Emmaus. This is one of my favorite post-resurrection instances we're going to be doing a lot of reading here in Luke 24, so if you have a Bible, please, please follow along or, or read on with a neighbor or on your phone or whatever. As most of you know, the death of Christ came as a surprise to many disciples, even though the Old Testament predicted it, even though the Old Testament had many figures and prophecies about it, even though Jesus himself talked about it in a very clear way it still came as a surprise, and you can see that in this text. So these two people are walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, which is about seven miles, and they're discussing amongst themselves about how disappointed, dejected, discouraged they are, and Jesus is going to appear, but they don't realize that it's Jesus. And a fascinating conversation breaks out. Verse 13, Luke 24, verse 13. That very day, this is the Lord's day, this is Resurrection Sunday. Two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Now stop right there. If this was a Bible class, I would love to discuss why you think and why I think their eyes were kept from recognizing him. But just put that out of your mind for a second. Let me ask you this. You don't need to raise your hand. Do you know anybody at work or school or in your neighborhoods that can't see Jesus for who he really is? I know you do. We come across them all the time. People who can't see Jesus for who he really is, or they won't see Jesus for who he really is, or maybe they will, and they just haven't. So whether they haven't yet, or they can't, or they won't, you and I all know people who can't see who Jesus is for who he really is, and and when those instances happen, what's needed? A good old-fashioned, Bible study, and guess what Jesus is about to break out with them. But before we begin reading, again, why doesn't Jesus just come out and say, guys, it's me, you know, touch my hands and my feet. He'll actually do that later in this this text, later in in, in the room with the apostles. And we'll get there. But he lets the secrecy hide for a moment. And he's going to bring their minds back to the scripture he's going to make them work through their faith through the scripture does that sound like anybody you know like the 200 people that you're in the room with making them work through their faith through the scripture verse 17 he said to them what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk and they stood still looking sad has anybody ever asked you about something and you thought, man, a lot, this, this would take me so long to tell you, and there's so much backstory and context, I don't want to even get into it. That's how I feel like these two people are, 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 are feeling when Jesus said, what, what, what are you talking about? They stood still, they're looking at him and like, should we even get into this? But Cleopas, one of them, works up the courage to tell him. Verse 18, then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor? To Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And I don't think that's a snarky question. It, it may sound like it. I don't think that Cleopas is trying to be sarcastic because the, the death of Jesus, you remember, was a cataclysmic event. No exaggeration. I mean, earthquake? Sun going dark at high noon? The veil of the temple being torn in two from top to bottom? Dead people being raised according to Matthew 27 and being seen in the city? I mean, you want to talk about cataclysmic. This is cataclysmic stuff. So when Cleopas asks, how do you not know? I-, I think they're being genuine. Verse 19, he said to them, Jesus is going to play dumb for a second. What things? Tell me. What'd you see? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who is a prophet mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. And this, this statement still makes me sad. I, I've read this a hundred times. I know how this story ends. And yet hearing it still makes me sad. We had hoped. Past tense. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. So Cleopas works up the courage. Jesus, that's what happened. He was mighty. He was mighty indeed. He was a mighty teacher. He did mighty things before God and all the people. But our rulers... They crucified him just a few days ago on Friday. We thought he was the one. We thought he was the Messiah. And now, to our bewilderment, even further bewilderment, now there's some people amongst our company that don't even know where his body is. Verse 22, Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they didn't see. So not only are we confused by his murder, some of the women went went there early this morning. They didn't find him. They're talking about seeing angels and the angels are saying that he's alive. Two of us Talking about Peter and John, they went to the tomb, they found it just as the women had said, but nobody's seen him yet. Him they didn't see. Now let me ask you, okay, let's let's make this real. Because we're trying to make application to us. Has anyone felt like that in Bible study? I can't quite figure this out. I'm I'm a little bewildered by this. That doesn't seem to make sense. And that may even seem like it contradicts other passages. Has anyone ever felt like this? And again, and again, they don't know who they're talking to. Why doesn't Jesus just come out and say, guys, it's me. But he makes them work through the scripture for their faith, making it their own. Verse 25. And he said to them, "O foolish ones. Pretty bold for a stranger. And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. You know, it would take about an hour and a half depending on how fast you walk, to walk about seven miles. Wouldn't you have loved to have heard that was 90 minutes or so? Me too. Now remember where we started. If you have the correct view of inspiration, that means nothing for your understanding. And here's another case in point. Case in point was was Paul and Timothy. They clearly had a high view of scripture. They clearly believe the correct view of inspiration, that it was breathed out by God, and yet it was Paul telling Timothy, you still got to use it right. And here you have two, two disciples who have been with Jesus, been around Jesus, been around the apostles, been around synagogues, clearly believe that by the scripture is, is inspired, and yet because of preconceived ideas or preconceived notions, they they aren't using it correctly. And where does Jesus put the responsibility for their misunderstanding? Where did he put that responsibility? On them, their heart specifically. It was not their parents' It was not their Bible class teachers, their rabbis. It was not their synagogue teachers. It was not their local eldership. I'm using terms that we're familiar with, but you get the point. We're making it real. It wasn't their favorite preachers. So you might hear a lot of things from a lot of people that you respect, and yet it's your responsibility. Young people, hear my voice, please. You must Take responsibility for what you believe from the Bible yourself, because that's what Jesus expects of you. We are all going to stand before Jesus Christ, as these two people are right now, and we are going to give an account for what we believe. And you can you imagine people saying things like, "Well, my my dad was Catholic, and I didn't hear that." Are you gonna say that to Jesus? You know, I grew up in Islam, and I grew up in this, and I I didn't hear all that. And can't you hear Jesus saying things like this? I didn't ask you to follow your parents. I didn't ask you to follow your friends or your family. I asked you to follow me and my word. And when you do this, when you make faith your own, I'm telling you, your faith will grow by leaps and bounds. That's what happened to me. Now, when I say your faith will grow by leaps and bounds, I'm not happy with where my faith is. Please, Please don't get me wrong. I wish my faith was better than what it is. I pray that God will increase my faith all the time on a weekly basis. I pray that. It's not where I want it to be. It's not where God wants it to be. But it started growing when I decided I didn't care what other people thought. And I don't mean that disrespectfully. Because there's a lot of people I do respect and I do ask their opinion. My parents being one, elderships being another, fellow preachers and teachers, buddies like Brian. I, I respect so many people's view, but when I walk away from those conversations, what I believe needs to be from the text. Do we understand that? You know, I was just watching an interview recently about, a, from a scientist who is in the, the world of science, evolutionary science, but they're actually a believer. And what they said was, was so interesting, and I believe it applies to the scripture. They said, you know, there, there's, there's the scientific evidence at the bottom, and then there's the Cliff Notes version that gets politicized and gets opinionated. That version gets read, okay? The Cliff Notes version, which gets politicized, people's opinions get thrown in there. But if you look at the science, the science says all kinds of things. You know, some, some science says that the earth is very young, and some science says the earth is old. And 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 why aren't we talking about why why there's a difference? But all we want to read is the Cliff Notes version, which is politicized and people's opinions are thrown in there. Do you see the parallel? Yeah, you know, we want to read books, we want to listen to podcasts, we want to listen to sermons. And none of that is is bad stuff. I'm just saying, that's Cliff Notes stuff. You got to go to the source yourself and find out what you believe, what you think, be convinced of yourself from the word of God. And when you do, when you see dots being connected, when you see connections being made from old to new, that is when your faith is going to grow that is when your heart is going to burn oops i just used a phrase that they're going to use in just a moment let's get back to our text beginning now in verse 28 so they knew they drew near to the village to which they were going he acted as if he was going to go further see you later guys great talking to you but they urged him strongly no 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 no. stay with us it's it's toward evening and the day is now far spent so he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. And they recognized him. Jesus, is that you? And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, listen to this. And I, I don't know if there could be a better invitation, so I'm going to start offering it now with this verse. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And that's what happens. When you see the scripture for yourself, when the scripture starts opening your spiritual eyes, when you see connections and dots being made, your heart starts to burn. Look, water! What prevents me from being baptized? That is the question of a burning heart. Or if you've already obeyed, you know all of our hearts are still burning. We start asking ourselves, what can I do? Is there a church I can help? Is there people I can help? Is there someone I can talk to? Is there someone I can tell this to? It's a burning heart. Verse 33, they arose that same hour because their hearts were burning. They wanted to go find someone to tell. And they returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11 and those who were gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they, they had told what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of bread. Now, you might be asking, Alan, you've you've made a big deal about Jesus leaving the secrecy, not telling them who he was so that they would work through the scriptures and make faith their own. But there are other resurrection appearances where Jesus just comes right out and says, hey, this is me. Yes, I'm going to read you one right here in this chapter. But even when Jesus reveals himself right away, guess what he does? Guess where he's going to bring him? Back to the scriptures. Here we go. Verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them, said, peace to you. They were startled and frightened. They thought they had sought a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet? You see, no no secrecy here. He's letting them know right away that it is I myself, touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet while they still disbelieved for joy. I love that phrase. You know, Too good to be true. You ever heard that phrase? It never more applicable right here. Have you ever not believed something because it was so joyous, you were so happy, you couldn't believe what you were seeing, you couldn't believe what you were hearing. They disbelieved for joy and were marveling. And he said to them, have you anything here to eat? He's been dead three days, guess he's hungry. They gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, listen, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Fascinating. Fascinating. Two narratives, same chapter. One clouded in secrecy, doesn't tell him who he is. One, he reveals himself right away. But what does he do in both stories? He brings them back, can I put it like this? To work. To work through the scriptures, make faith their own, and that sounds like you and me. That's the expectation. I'm not going to say that it's easy. I'm not going to say that there's step one, step two, step three, step four, step five, because you know, And I'm not judging the people who have asked me this question recently, but I think when we ask ourselves, you know, how do we read this, and how do we interpret the Bible, sometimes I wonder if we're trying to make it easier than what God intended it to be. Does that make sense? That God intended it to be a little hard. That God intended our minds and our brains to be engaged, which makes sense, Because we've been asked to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our soul, our strength, and what else? Our mind. Our mind. So, enjoy the work that is Bible study. Your heart and your faith will be better for it. Let's put away our Bibles and get ready to sing the Song of Invitation. Thank you so much for your good listening. Look, water, if your heart is burning, you've never given your life over to Christ, being baptized into Christ, turning away from sin, making the great confession, you can do that this morning. Will you come as together we stand and sing?